what's cooking up in the kitchen? Am I smelling that soul food? Oh yes, it is soul food. The spiritual food for your spiritual nourishment. And you know what? This food will never expire. Never expire? I need this food every day. You are listening to these spiritual-based podcasts. There are many podcasts, but this one here is to satisfy your soul, to feed your spiritual hunger. Are you hungry for God? Don't let your soul be hungry. No matter where you are, whatever you are doing now, at work, home, or on the go, you can still listen here and right now the uh, Soul Food Podcast. Don't let ever your soul to go hungry. It's time for some Soul Food. And now, a word of faith from Bishop Barra. Hi there! The word of faith to you is that the Lord Jesus, He came into this world to destroy the works of the devil. Yes, the one that came to kill, steal, and destroy. For this purpose, the Lord Jesus died on the cross. Many believe in a God that is up there in heaven. No, no. God is in heaven, but he is there for you as well. He came for you that the works of the evil one must be destroyed. As the scripture says, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. And right now, I am going to pray to destroy the works of the devil. For you who are suicidal, for you who have this depression, last night, you could not sleep. You hear somebody calling your name. When you turn it to, there is nobody there. There is not paranoia. You are not going crazy. Maybe somebody died this month. But last year, the same month, the same date, somebody else died. There is this curse of death inside of your house. Panic attacks. The reason why he manifested himself was to destroy the works of the devil. I am going to place my hand inside of the oil. Can I have my tray here? I will place my hand upon the holy oil. Thank you very much. You are going to place your hand upon mine. Upon mine. You are going to place your hand. My hand has oil. And the heat of the power of God will touch your life right now. You are going to place your hand upon the TV, upon your device, computer, cell phone. You are going to touch this hand here. My anointed hand. And when you touch my anointed hand, the power of God will touch you. Together now, let us pray the Lord's Prayer. After this manner, therefore, pray ye. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. O God of the Bible, you came to destroy the evil works of the devil. What is impossible for you? This person has been plagued. The plague of death, the curse of death. This person had a stroke and the left side cannot move. The right side cannot move. All the numbers are abnormal. This person cannot function again because this sugar level is so high. Because of high blood pressure, the kidneys are no longer functioning, working. This person is on dialysis. Oh Lord Jesus Christ, set this person free right now from slavery. Oh Lord, I pray for this person who has done his part, his 50% this morning. This person has called the number. He's now praying together with me. Oh Lord, show to this person that this is not fairy tale. Show to this person that this is real and that this is what you want to do. Bless, my God, those who are in prison, the inmates, those who are right now broken and down in the hospital. Oh, Lord, my God, set them free once and for all. Jesus, Jesus, I pray for all the viewers of the showdown of faith. Bless, my Father, the authorities, the governors, mayors, the president. Bless our country because we surrender all to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Wherever you are now, open your eyes. Look at me. I minister deliverance. I bless you for this day. Be free. I stretch out to you my anointed hands. The heat of the power of God enters your house, your body. You are free. You are blessed. If you believe, breathe now in and out. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, my Lord, because I believe you have blessed the life of many people today. Amen. Today we will be sharing part two of Herman Mendoza's story. If you missed part one, go check it out. Stay connected with us on the Soul Food Podcast.
what do you do when you have been telling yourself you can reach a goal and you lose it every day? What do you do when, you, when you've lost your spirit, you've lost your job, you lost everything, life been devastated? Once you are defeated in your mind, ladies and gentlemen, it's all over. Your problem is your pain has identified you. Your pain has weakened you. You have a choice how you respond to your pain. And some of you in this room, for real, I'm just going to be honest with you, you're getting wimpy on me. You're getting soft on me. You are not the only person that's been through a divorce, boo. Get over it. You're not the first one. You won't be the last one. You can turn that divorce into something. You're not the first one to lose your promotion and get fired. You're not the first one. You're not the first one they let go of. You won't be the last one. The question is, what you going to do about it? I know what it is to walk the floor and you don't know how you're going to make it when people no longer believe in you and you are your God. And you got to say to yourself, when you fail again and again, they tell you no, sometimes with tears in your eyes, it's possible. When life stagger you, the thing that'll get you up on your knees and get you standing in the center of the ring and find something from somewhere deep down in to keep on slugging and keep on fighting is, it's possible. It's possible. If I just stand long enough, I can pull this off. When you're facing defeat, disappointment, Seem like life has written you off and everybody say you can't do it. You don't have what it takes. All you need to affirm that in spite of this, it's possible that I can do it. So what makes ET different than everybody else? Every year I just kept going. And I kept going. And I kept going. And I kept saying one day going to be my day. But you know what I'm not going to do? I'm not going to quit in the process. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give in. And then from there, we negotiated. I tried to negotiate my case. I was waiting about two or three months to see if I can get bail. My brother was denied bail because he had revoked his first bail, getting indicted on the second case uh, with me. My attorneys finally worked out a deal and they got me out with a half a million dollars uh, out on bail. And so I'm out on bail, trying to figure things out, talking to my attorneys. What am I looking at? And they told me, you're looking at 18 to 25 years of incarceration. And I was like, I'm going to have to do something, you know, and I'm trying to think about ways of getting money again because everything was seized. I lost everything that I had before. The very first reaction was I could stick up the uh, drug cartel. But then I thought if I do that and I steal tens of millions of dollars, they're going to go after my family. So what I did was I was just inebriated every day, drinking from morning to night, getting drunk. And I told my driver, because I couldn't drive. I was, uh, they were looking for me, the cops, because I decided to jump bail. So I was a fugitive. So I had drivers drive me around. And I would hide out in casinos. I would hide out in different homes. And one day after being out on the land for six months, I told my driver, drive me to my house. And I lived in a gated community. He's like, you crazy. Cops are looking for you. I said, I want to see my wife and my kids. And as I went there the very next day, my wife picks up the phone and it was the police, the state police, marshals, uh, federal officers. And they told my wife, tell your husband to surrender himself. If not, you know, it's going to go ugly for him. Uh, if he has any guns, toss it out the window. You know, we want this to, to, to be a smooth transition of his arrest. So my wife wakes me up. He says, the cops have the house surrounded. My very first reaction was put on my clothes, open the window, jump out. 
As I opened up the window, the cops was there with their guns drawn, freeze, you know, don't move. So I went back in my home and I looked at my wife and I told her, my life is over. Open the door. Cops came rushing in. They handcuffed me. My kids were young at the time. You know, uh, they were three years old, four years old. And so my wife placed them in the back room. And so they came charging in. They arrested me. My wife just, she had such uh, anger and rage because she felt like, this is it. I'm losing my husband. She said, you know, put your guns down. He's right here. And so as they arrested me, they took me into their waiting vehicle and they placed me in the back. As they sped away, I remember kind of looking back and my wife filled in, she filled in in what took place there that day uh, after the cops uh, sped away. But they were celebrating and they were saying, we arrested this drug lord. They were celebrating, you know, rightly so. But in the same token, my wife felt like, man, my husband, I'm never gonna see him again. I'm never gonna see him again. And as they were in the vehicle, I told the officer, and they were going at a high velocity. I said, open the back door, I wanna end my life. And he said, you never know what could happen in your case. So I responded and, and you know, and I looked at him and I was like, I don't know, I felt a sense of relief for a moment. And they took me to a federal detention center. So I waived my extradition to New York where my case was out of. You know, what was crazy is that as they were transporting me to New York, it was like the movie Con Air because they took me to an airfield, private airfield, this, lane, this airplane lands. You have all these federal officers with, you know, high-end rifles were all chained up. They surround the aircraft. And I was like, man, I'm really in for a long haul here. This is, this is a big case that I'm deal, dealing with. And, and so they transported me in this van to New York City, to Brooklyn, New York, MDC, Metropolitan Det Detention Center. Now, little did I know in the way that I was, when I was going to prison, that my brother had surrendered his life to Jesus in the six months that I was out as a fugitive. And I didn't even know. I didn't have a contact with him. I didn't know about his conversion. And his prayer was, God, send my brother to the same facility, the same cell block where I'm housed, so I can share the gospel with him. And I had no idea. And so I arrived to MDC Brooklyn. And as I arrived to the detention center, and I enter this unit, and who do I see? My brother. And he looks at me, and he just extends his hand up in the air and he says, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And I look at my brother with indifference. I'm like, what is he talking about? Praise the Lord, hallelujah, we're in jail. He's, he's lost his mind, you know? So he's like, you know, God loves you. You don't understand, I've been praying for you. I've been praying for your salvation. I'm like, what are you saying you've been praying for my salvation? You've been praying for, for me to, to be in jail with you? You know, and he said to me, one day you'll get it. And he, you know, he kind of smiled and, and he said, it's good to see you. It's good for you to, you know, to, to be alive. Uh, because he was uh, having this prayer with God in this moment, six months prior that I didn't know. And he said, God, if you don't bring him here that I can share this gospel, they're going to kill him. You know, he's perhaps he's running wild out in the streets. And I'm there and I'm trying to deal with my case and I hire different attorneys and they're giving me bad news. And I'm in this detention center 
locked up 24 hours. I'm not seeing, you know, outside, you know, it's in a warehouse that I'm housed in and I'm just trying to figure out my ways. Again, I didn't have no repentance. I didn't have no conviction of my actions. I just felt a worldly sorrows. As the scripture says, that leads to uh, condemnation, condemnation leads to death. And I'm there trying to figure things out. Again, trying to do it my way. And I'm so distraught, I'm so depressed. And the attorneys come back with the bad news. And they said, you're facing minimum of 18 years of incarceration. Wow. And I'm trying to communicate with my wife, can't get a hold of her. I'm, I'm talking to my mom, calling her, I'm talking to these attorneys. I fired one, I hired another one, fired him, and I have no money now. And I'm down to the last attorney. And my brother says, I want you to come to the chapel. Now, this chapel was being controlled or not controlled, but being, the services were being held by inmates. And he said, I want you to go to the chapel. What you need is God. And I felt that there was no other recourse. I tried everything. I tried my own strength. I tried my own will and power and money, you know, and those things failed me. And I was just so empty and depressed. And so I went to this chapel and I sat down in the back observing this religious service from these grown men that are facing life in prison from cases of murder. You know, they're being, they, they were extradited from Colombia and other countries to face their charges in New York. And I'm like, what is going on? And they're testifying and they're talking about the goodness of God and giving word about how their lives were being transformed even though they're facing life in prison. And the preacher says, there's a gentleman here, there's someone here amongst 55 inmates that has been chasing after things and those things have led him down a road of destruction. And he is seeking after peace. And this is the word that I felt that God was telling me. I was telling God, I want peace. All I need is peace. I'm going crazy in prison. And as I'm sitting in the back, this pastor is saying, there's someone that's been telling God that he wants peace. He says, the peace that God can give you will surpass all of your understanding. You know who you are. God can change your life around. And I just felt this peace come over me. And I knew it was for me. I was like, man, how does this pastor or this inmate know my story? And I started, he says, you know who you are. And uh, he says, I want you to come to the front. As I was approaching the front, I just started to weep and cry. And I, and, and I just came before the Lord right there. And he said, look, God can change your life around. Just receive him in your heart. And he said the sinner's prayer. He says, God can change your life around. Do you believe in Jesus? I said, yes, yes. He died for you. He's, he wants to give you a new life so that you can become a new cre a creation in Him. The old will be gone and everything will become new. He's going to make you a new person within. And I just started to continue to cry. And I said, yes. And I repeated this prayer over me as He was praying over me. And I felt like the Spirit of God that was enveloping over me. It was taking hold of my life and it was taking all of that sinful destruction that I was doing with my hands, poisoning lives. And within my mind, I saw like flashes of mothers that were weeping because of their son that perhaps died of the same drugs that I was spewing out into society. Mm. I was seeing addicts. I was seeing 
women that was perhaps giving their, uh, selling their bodies to consume the very drugs that I was spewing. All of these flashes, these images that was crossing through my mind. And I just told God, I'm sorry. God, forgive me of my sins. And you know, the Bible says that, that what happens is that when it's godly sorrows, it leads to repentance and repentance leads to salvation. And I wanted to make amends with everybody. And I remember getting up and I felt that this weight was off my shoulder. Wow. I didn't feel depressed. Even though I was in prison, I felt free. And I, I, I went to um, where the phones were located and I made a phone call and I called my mom. I said, mommy, I said, mom, the scripture says that I'm born again. I don't know, but I want to make amends with everybody. I'm sorry, you know, what, I, what I've done to you and, and, and our family. And I remember trying to reach my wife and I couldn't reach her. You know, I wanted to, to just, I was telling everybody in the, in the uh, housing unit, hey man, I, I'm sorry. And they're looking at me like, they thought I was crazy. Sorry of what? And I was just so relieved at the fact that I was no longer in bondage, even though I was in physical change, uh, chains, but I felt that I was, that came up to me, he said, that was what I was telling you. That was the prayer that I was praying to God for you. When you was out there going crazy, I was telling God, send you here so that you can listen to the gospel and be saved. And so those dots were connected. And, and he was so happy for me. They would give us commissary. And that commissary, which was food, we would turn it around and give it to the inmates and give them a Bible. So God was just doing some incredible things there. Uh, we were seeing salvation. Uh, people were being healed. That the warden was saying, man, what is going on here in Five North? And it was just amazing what God was doing in this particular uh, jail. So I remember during my, my time in jail, I wanted my wife to come to Jesus. So I fasted three days, no water. This uh, other inmate came up to me from our church and said, hey brother, I wanna fast for your wife for her salvation. And I want you to fast and pray for my case. And he had a pending case and he wanted to be extradited back to his homeland. And I said, yes, brother. So we prayed and fasted for three days, no water, no food. And on the third day, I get a, a call from the correction officers. They come up to my cell and they say, Mendoza, you got a visit. So I go down to the visiting area. I thought it was my attorney. And I see my wife and she was sit seated there. And I approach her and she had this frown look like, man, I got something to tell you. And so she looks at me. And she says, sit down, I have some bad news to share with you. And I said, can you give me five minutes? I want to share this good news with you. And, and I looked at her and I said, I'm sorry. I've been unfaithful to you. I've, you know, basically almost destroyed our family and our kids, you know, and I just want you to know that even though if you leave me today, I want you to know Jesus. I want you to know the lover of my soul. I want you to know the one that saved me. I am a new man. And she looked at me and the words, the Holy Spirit started taking a hold of her life and she started to cry. And we started to confess our sins to one another. I started to share of all the wrongs I've done. And I said to her, you know, I want you to know Jesus. And she said to me, you know, I want what you have. You are more freer in prison than myself, that I'm out, in, I'm out in society. I want the Jesus that you are professing. And so I led her to the Lord. I prayed over her and we prayed 
we forgave our sins, one another. God forgave us for our sins right there. And we renewed our relationship and our marriage. And we reconciled our indifferences and God saved them in that visiting area. And then I learned through my sister-in-law, uh, through my brother actually, because my brother was incarcerated with me, that his wife, my sister-in-law and my wife went to a church that, that week and she got baptized in water. I'm in prison and I'm preaching. I didn't even care about my case. I just wanted to preach the word of God and many were coming to Christ. And I remember the day that I was about to get sentenced, 9-11 happens. So they postponed our sentencing date for three months uh, further. And uh, my, my attorneys came to visit me and said, look, we're ready for sentencing. He gave me a pro uh, probation report. So basically it's before you get sentenced, they give you a probation report. And that just highlights uh, the things you've done in the community and also any of your past convictions. And I was like, forget him. They're gonna give me 18 years because this is my second uh, conviction. And I, told, I looked at my attorney and I said, look, whatever report that the, the, the feds are giving me, I'm gonna listen to the report of the Lord. If God wants me here for 18 years, preaching the gospel, I'm gonna do it. But if he wants me to be released from prison so that I can impact our communities and impact our society and work with young people, he's gonna do the miracle. And he looked at me, he goes, okay, you know? And so I uh, get out into the courtroom and I'm standing before the judge. I'm next to my attorney and I glance to the back of the courtroom and I see my wife and I see my wife's pastor, which he had written a letter to the judge and he was a former police officer. And then I see my family members there, my mom and other family members. And I remember standing before the judge and all of a sudden, the prosecutor speaks and he says, Your Honor, whatever time you impose on the defendant, I just hope upon his release that he would continue to do what he was doing in prison by educating other inmates and helping them out, that he would do that out into society by helping other young people and other people in need of uh, spiritual help and also uh, academia, uh, uh, educational help. And I look at my attorney, I said, did he really say that? I can't believe it, he's speaking on my behalf. And he says, whatever time you impose on him, let it be so, but I just wanna recognize that. And I couldn't believe that this is the prosecutor. And so my attorney speaks, and then I speak, and I look at the judge and I say, your honor, whatever time you impose, I just want you to know that I'm a new creation in Christ. If you give me the opportunity, to be released. I wanna work with young people and I wanna help out those that had similar backgrounds to myself. And he looks at me, he goes, that is all, Mr. Mendoza? I say, yes, Your Honor. And he sentences me to close to five years. I could not believe it. I was like, praise God. So as I uh, go back to the unit, I testify of what God has done. And the time comes, I already had about two and a half years waiting for the outcome of my case. They send me off to the federal detention center to, fin to finish out my time. And I went to Lewisburg Penitentiary. And I'm there and I'm preaching to the, to the, the inmates there. And um, as I'm ministering to them, uh, I'm in a penitentiary. They send me off to Allenwood Low, to a low facility. And I'm coming across, you know, former politician, uh, politician that was arrested there. Uh, he was housed in the facility I was in. 
um, other cases of uh, people that have you know, committed all kinds of cr crimes. And so as I was finished my, my time there, I'm about to get released. My wife sends me my, uh, my clothing, my, 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 you know, my outside clothing. I put on my clothing and I'm about to get released. And who picks me up? The New York State parole officers. And they arrest me. And they said, Mr. Mendoza, you're going to Rikers Island because you violated your parole. So after spending almost five years of incarceration, I was going back now from federal prison to the state jail. He says, you have to go to Rikers Island and you have to go before the judge. Stay tuned tomorrow to hear part three of Herman Mendoza's story. Don't miss the final part of his testimony. He has more to share. If you haven't, make sure to share with your friends and family so they can feed their souls too. Thank you for listening in. That's all the soul food we have to share today. Stay tuned for the next episode on Soul Food and keep your notifications on. Share this episode with your friends and family to feed their souls. Give the food that lasts forever. <laughs>